from the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Reader's Serial Fiction Show. Today, we've got an action thriller by Edward Adelon called Mandala. An odd team of assassins tracks their target across the urban sprawl of everyday America. But is this world real or something more? Highway shootouts, office building grenade battles, strange doors. There's nothing like it until the next episode. Edward Adelon is a writer and dreamer who has been writing for as long as he can remember. He is the author of the action thriller series Mandala and the high fantasy Fey Mythos. And now, a sample of Mandala, episode one. Grady dreamed of being chased and a gun that refused to fire. As he awoke, the details of the dream faded like vapor, but the fear remained. He told himself it was the fear of being late again, another write-up, another meeting, but it wouldn't fit. It was the fear of having forgotten something, a revelation given by the dream, slaughtered by the alarm. Morning broke open as he hit the highway, and the sky turned a sweet pinkish orange, like the strawberry banana drinks he used to get as a kid. Glass bottles shining in the summer sun, dripping condensation like mercury. Thin clouds took on the colors and floated lazily above the gray concrete chopping by. Passing cars reflected the sky on the back windows, chrome strips and side mirrors. He tried to ignore it. There was something about it that reminded him of a dream, of something forgotten. He worked at an office park off the highway, in a water-stained cement and glass tower. The little gazebos that had seemed so charming during his interview looked like gargoyles two years later, and the bowl-shaped cracked parking lot seemed to fall through into something unknown. He walked across it, trying not to see wondering how it would look to him in another two years. He beeped his ID on the door, and the noise found a thousand others in his memory, all singing that he'd be here forever. He rushed past the coffee-gargling break room, already smelling of microwaved styrofoam, into a cubicle maze of white noise and coaxing voices. A clock on the wall said 801, he dropped his bag next to his desk and clocked in without sitting down. After a few minutes of daydreaming, he clicked the icon that brought up accounts, like shooting an old friend. The first one had a long history of phone calls to an insurance company with nothing accomplished, each one spent entirely on hold, a small mercy. He opened his bag to pull out his book, a thick paperback fantasy, and locked up like he had touched a live wire. He went through much of his day, especially at the office, in a series of automated movements that slipped by unnoticed. He would park his car at the apartment and be unable to remember anything about the drive home. But now, that automata had encountered something unexpected and froze. The shape was familiar, but that familiarity was fleeting. 
fluorescent light caught a textured matte black grip and a mere square of metal. A handgun. His thoughts became a solid tone, like a piano key held down. He broke out in a full sweat and slumped over in his chair. When he could move, he reached back in, expecting his hand to pass through the gun like a hologram. He wrapped his fingers around it and lifted. It was heavy and real. What the fuck? Someone walked down the aisle throwing out good mornings, and he closed his bag in a hurry. He pressed his fingers to his palm to make sure he wasn't dreaming. He was undeniably awake. What had started as a sheet metal taco stand next to an auto shop was now a fully built restaurant, with wide windows covered in fluorescent advertisements for specials that never went away, and a small drive through window punched into the side. Truckers and office workers sat side by side under humming lights, pressed against walls covered in framed newspapers and fake memorabilia. Cheap cooking oil, smoked on hash browns, and scents of coffee and bacon floated by in little pockets. A blonde woman in a navy trench coat sat near the front window, arms folded, legs crossed, coiled like a snake. Her coffee steamed untouched on the table and she watched the door with prepared disappointment. A black SUV pulled up to the fractured cement ramp out front. A broad man in a Burberry trench over an Adidas tracksuit got out of the center door and smiled like the world had rolled into his trap. He made it halfway to the door and remembered the cigarette dangling from his mouth. He took one last kiss-you-goodbye drag and flipped it away. The smoke still clung to his head as he stepped through the door. Good morning, sir. Table or booth? The hostess called to him. He pointed and walked towards the blonde woman, who watched him with a look like disgust, but less passionate. Morning, he said in a low tone that told everyone around to stop listening. His SUV parked in a spot just outside the window, and a tall, thin man in a charcoal suit stepped out of the driver's door and lit a cigarette. The blonde woman got the feeling from the way he stood that, if a bomb went off, he would just shrug and take another drag. She sighed and looked back at the man in front of her. Good morning, I'm Teresa, said Lindsay, green eyes sharpened under drawn-in eyebrows. She had a soft, round face, held in a controlled pose of contempt, with a chin strong enough to make it work. The man took off his sunglasses and blinked his flashing brown eyes at her. Nice to meet you, Teresa. I'm Malachi, said Philip, smiling. Lindsay squeezed her coffee cup in a way that let him and anyone else still watching know she wanted to throw it at him. What's on your mind? Wait. He held his hand in the air and spun around as the waitress walked up from behind him. Four scrambled eggs, four pieces of white buttered toast, four big-ass pieces of bacon, and a pot, like the whole damn pitcher of coffee. Thanks. He turned back around and the waitress scratched on a notepad. Right while you walk, babe. She grimaced at the back of his head and marched off. He smiled and reached over the table for Lindsay's cup. You never drink your coffee. I don't see the point. She said. He laughed, and his bulging cheekbones jumped on his face. No fun at all. Here. 
He handed her a phone. She turned it on with her thumbprint and pulled up a file labeled Paul. It gave his home address, employer, favorite bars and clubs, work schedule, and friends, the smallest portion. There was also a black and white photo and some handwritten notes in the margins. What's all this shit on the sides? That's my notes. He leaned back in his seat proudly and stretched. His wide chest tested the zipper on the tracksuit. I can't read it. Is she sure about his job? It doesn't seem like he would go for it. According to the file, he worked at a large insurance company as a shift supervisor. Usually they were venture capitalists or something. They made sure, said Philip. He grunted at the end of his stretch and brought his hands together on the table. They? Yeah. Mom and, uh, Rochelle. Went in together while he was out. He finished the coffee and set down the cup on the edge of the table. So he's not up? No. He looked back towards the kitchen. A few people who had been staring at them looked away hurriedly, and he smiled at the side of their heads. Then he's being watched, Lindsay said. Philip, seeing no sign of his food, leaned forward over the table. Probably. That's what my notes said. He pointed at the phone. Any clue who's covering him? No idea. I don't think they're anyone big time, though. Lindsay was about to tell him what his assumptions were worth to her when the waitress came up from the kitchen. She set down the plate of eggs, bacon and toast, the pot of coffee, and a smaller plate with three pancakes. Pancakes? They come with all breakfast combos, the waitress said icily. Does it count as a combo? Thought it was like a la carte. She was already gone so he looked at Lindsay instead. I guess since I ordered so much? Was there something else, or can I leave you to your food? She had tried to get him to just leave the goddamn phone somewhere else, but he had said he was already on the road. She had been trained not to meet up before a job unless absolutely necessary. The boss had told her Philip was old school, but every job so far had her doubting it. He pulled his jacket off and let it hang on the back of the seat, a few of the truckers who had been watching from a booth started talking quietly about the obvious shape of body armor under his tracksuit. He unrolled the silverware from the napkin and cleared his throat. Have you seen Monkey? She hasn't touched base yet. Lindsay let the silence grow before she spoke, low and sharp. Who? Philip realized his blunder. God damn it. Beth, or whatever, our driver? Lindsay stayed quiet. Fine. Well, if you hear anything, just let me know. Is that all? Yeah, no. You know where the new guy is on this? He pointed with his knife and dripped syrup on the table. She just glared at him, so he sighed and started forking his food. All right, whatever. It'd be nice to know, like there's microphones in the silverware or some shit. Outside the diner, Lindsay stopped next to the man in the charcoal suit and pretended to check her phone. The less words that come out of his mouth, the better. She said just loud enough for him to hear. He smiled and flicked the butt on the ground. You haven't seen him work, he said to the wind. She glanced up at the sky and walked off across the parking lot. Last night's rain had broken into thin fragments of clouds, and a bright ring of silver morning reached over the banks and fast food places like an explosion frozen in the air. It was one of those electric days where every sound carried for miles. What a day to die.
So JP, let's talk about Later Press. So Later Press is a platform built to help authors uh, declare their independence. It lets authors create digital books and sell them directly to their readers through their own branded website. And there are new things uh, coming to the platform every day in terms of discoverability and new features. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I actually, I put nerds on Later Press and it was a really easy and really fast uh, process, which was pretty cool. And one of the cool things was you can put a collection and then you can put your, uh, like we put nerds in the collection uh, so that ideally if we do any spinoffs or if we do any like season two or like specifying those pieces, you can put those books in the collection, which yeah. is really nice. And it's a really nice way of like hierarchical, hierarchical uh, pieces to it, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it basically gives you your own website. Ours is nrds.laterpress.com. And you just direct your readers straight there and they see nerds. It, it doesn't get blocked by anything else. There are no ads in the way. There are no, like nothing. It's just straight up nerds content for your readers to get straight to reading, uh, which is uh, different than some other platforms, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And I did the same thing, um, although I uploaded uh, all of my books to a collection just so I had one place you know, to, to direct mm-hmm. readers. And so I have Molecule Thief, Dark is Away, and the Steampunk Emerald Key is up there. So it's one link. People can see all your books and you can order them whatever way you want, uh, you know, or your yeah. cereals. You can put cereals up as well. And uh, yeah, and you can do it on a subscription model or pay per book. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, which was a, a really cool. Yeah, yeah, the pricing thing was pretty cool. Figuring out uh, either doing per book or some type of a subscription model, uh, just to kind of give your readers different abilities to uh, support you. Because some people really like the, you know, it's basically like a Patreon, but yep. you just get content to read. And the cut is just 5%. Yeah. So test it out. Try it out. Yeah. Laterpress.com. See you later, press. All right. So your character has both a spotty memory and a handgun in his bag with no (laughs) idea how it got there. What inspired you to write this action thriller? So when I was a kid, uh, all my dreams were lucid dreams, which I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know there was a name for it back then. But every time... Almost every time I would dream, I either immediately or throughout the course of the dream, I would realize I was dreaming. Um, So at that point, my dreams usually became uh, a struggle to wake up. I would try to wake up at that point. Um, Usually I had help from like family members or people I knew or people in the dream. Um, So I always wanted to write something about lucid dreaming, especially once I started looking into it more. Um, I actually lost uh, the ability to do it later in life. Like I did it a lot when I was a kid and then it just stopped happening. And then I had to go back, I'd say like five years ago and just read all these books and do all this studying and all these techniques, none of which I needed, you know, when I was like six, but uh, (laughs) uh, so I'm slowly relearning it. I can lucid dream about twice a week sometimes if I'm lucky. Um, So that was part of it. Obviously, I saw The Matrix when I was a kid. I remember finding the old VHS in my parents' drawer. It was like that in the Big Lebowski on VHS. So I was like, what is this? So I watched The Matrix when I was like nine, I want to say. So I've always kind of had that idea in the back of my head. 
Um, and also when I was a kid, whenever I was driving or anywhere, I would like imagine what would happen, you know, if there was like an action shootout, something here at the grocery store or in the parking lot or, you know, anywhere I was. Um, but the main incentive for me to actually write it, I think, was I was writing, I have a fantasy series and I had just written the first book novella in that, which was like a, it's like a hard boiled uh, detective first person. I was like, okay, I want to take a break before I write the second one. So I'll just write like a stupid, fun, like uh, action, you know, just lots of shootouts and no real hard, you know, reality. I'm not going to do a lot of research about would this actually happen or whatever. So I was like, I'll just use the dream ones and I can have it set in like a dream, uh, dream world. And then, you know, like inception and then I won't have to worry about making it too realistic. I can just hammer it out. So that didn't work out. <laughs> I got like the uh, inspiration. I was like, okay, how is this actually going to work? I'm not going to do, I don't want to do the matrix, like a virtuality. I don't want to do like exactly like they're going to dreams. How's it going to work? And w- one morning at the genesis of the idea just kind of came to me all at once. And just the way Mandala works and the way, I don't want to spoil too much, but the way they travel between these realities uh, came to me and it kind of built on itself. And that was like a year ago. And I haven't gone back to the fantasy yet. I have the, <laughs> I have the outline for book two, but Mandela just kind of took over. And uh, it didn't work out in the sense that I, when I do the, when I have the shootout scenes or the action scenes, they take place very much in a real world in the sense that I, you know, it has to be realistic. So it yeah, just kind of took on a life of its own. Um, and there are other things I wanted to explore that weren't really possible in a fantasy series, like uh, nostalgia. Obviously, a lot of my nostalgia is for the real world. So I wanted to explore those types of feelings. Um, and when I first, I had an idea of what I wanted Mandala aesthetically to seem like, even though I, all my writing is very visual. I see it like a movie. I know what I want it to look like. So I had this aesthetic in my head for what I wanted it to look like. So I would, I went on like Tumblr and Pinterest. I was like, I want to get a bunch of, I like to have collages of images to go back to, to kind of immerse myself in the world. So I went and I found uh, images that Matt tried to find images that matched how I visualized it in my head. And I found like, uh, you know, things tagged like dream core or liminal spaces or stuff like that. And I was like, okay, that's, that fits this imagery or this feeling that I want to put in the certain aspects of the book. And then other, other aspects of it, the more real world type, you know, I found, I don't know if you've seen the picture labeled like burger punk. It's like the, 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 the street and like all the fast food signs, just the quote unquote ugliness. So there's that. And that ties into the nostalgia um, in the sense that obviously I grew up in that type of uh, setting. And uh, so for me, it's very nostalgic. So I wanted to tap into that feeling I have when seeing that setting and then also juxtapose it with the more fantastical, dreamlike elements and mesh them together. And that's really what Mandela is about, is kind of the combining of those two. I love that. And I love burger punk. I don't know if I've heard that term before, but I know exactly what you mean when you say that. So that's amazing. So I'm curious, uh, you, you know, you said you're mixing dreaming with other elements and you've called it ma- mandala. Do you use the mandala effect in your serial? And can you tell us more about that without spoiling what you do with that? I think I can try to do it without spoiling. Okay. <laughs> so when I first heard of the uh, mandala effect, I I was I remembered it as the, as the Mandala effect, um, and it wasn't until later, and I started writing Mandala. I had the title. I think I had written like the first book that 
someone told me or somehow I found out it was actually the Mandela effect. It was become a, because of a Nelson Mandela and people thought he died yeah. and they misremembered it. Yeah. And so I thought it was Mandela and it kind of made sense to me because, you know, there were, you see a Mandela, it kind of seems like it gives me the uh, sense of like a multiverse when you look at it. Um, so that's actually, there's a, a scene in, in the book where that's discussed. The main character, uh, Grady, has misremembered the Mandela effect as the Mandela effect and uh, gets corrected on that. So yeah, there is a scene <laughs> that is discussed in the book. Um, so with the Mandela effect, you know, you misremember, it's like people thinking that they're uh, slipping between realities, alternate universes. Oh, I was in the universe where this, uh, the Berenstein Bears, the Berenstein Bears. So it's not Mandala. I won't spoil anything, but I will say it's not exactly that. It's not like that's how things work in Mandala, but it's similar and it does kind of play with that. That's really fun. I'm curious, what's one thing about this story that you want listeners to know or to be excited about? That I have a lot of it written or a lot of it planned, one thing. Um, <laughs> uh, I plan to be writing Mandala. Like I said, the idea really took over. So I plan to be writing Mandala for years. Um, right now I have, I'm guessing from what it looks like to be about eight volumes around there. And each volume I have broken up into books and probably about eight to 10 books each volume. So right now with volume one, I have three books written. I have The Office Job. Book two is In the Beginning, which looking back on it, maybe not the best name for a number two in the series, but <laughs> book three is going to be called The Bounty. And I have all those written. And book one is about 40,000 words. Book two is about 70,000 words. And book three is about 90,000 words. And the links are going to fluctuate um, because of the nature of the series. It goes kind of from the dream-ish more realistic, like back and forth. Um, so I guess I would want them to know that it's going to be going on for a while. I'm I'm in it to be around for the next five years, maybe ten. Nice. Wow. So with what? Oh, it's such a big story. Um, I'm curious what character you're excited for readers to read about and why. <laughs> if they just started, like if they've if you've listened to you know the. Uh, the first half of the first chapter thing of this episode and you're just going to get into it. I would probably say Philip because he was in the first book, especially very fun to write. Um, I just love him. Yeah. He's just really fun to get into. If they're, if they started reading, if you've read some of the what's out there right now, but maybe you've read made the first book, but you haven't gotten into the second one in the second book, I'd probably say Lucy. Um, just because of what she can do and kind of her attitude gives uh, a good glimpse at how these people, um, their outlook on this existence. Um, but if they've read everything that's out there right now, book one, most book two, I will just say Gabriel, um, but he's not going to be in it for a while. But that's one that I'm like, I really want to get to him. So you've mentioned lucid dreaming, Mandela effect. Uh, you've pulled inspirations from things like The Matrix and Inception. I'm curious, what research went into making this serial? Guns. <laughs> lots, <laughs> lots of guns. Uh, <laughs> so I'm from Texas, so guns are you know a big part of our, our culture. I have a few. I definitely don't have nearly as many as the characters in the book I have access to. I've gone shooting a couple times, you know, regularly with my guns, but, and with, you know, when you go to gun range, you can try the ones they have out. And I have friends that have some pretty nice ones, but I do not have the opportunity to shoot 
even a fraction of the guns that are used in the uh, books, and especially not, you know, because these are like fully automatic. The characters are not really concerned with uh, the law or money. Not spoil anything. They don't really have to worry about how much this gun costs. They can basically have access to it. Um, so lots of YouTube videos. Lots of YouTube videos. How's this gun shoot? Um, lots of Wikipedia articles, forums, just ballistic gel tests and other things like that. Um, yeah, just lots of videos and lots of uh, Pinterest. Yes, <laughs> pictures <yeah>. of guns. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's important to know your guns. You know, readers will nail you on that if you don't get it right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, for the most for the third book, like I said, I like to set the shootouts. That's another thing about Mandela. I want to set the shootouts in mundane locations. I want it to be like everyday situations, like locations where you might just spend in the most boring moments of your life and what and set these crazy over-the-top scenarios in those boring locations. So for the book three, I spent like months looking into like distribution centers until I was sick, like just photos and videos and maps and just, okay, where is this located? How would this, you know, where would, where could they position so yeah, just rant and Google Earth. Lots of Google Earth. Google Earth is the best. <laughs> so just like shootouts in a fabric store or something. yeah, exactly. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the person that's walking through all of these department stores, just like yes. what would happen if? Great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just checking. Awesome. Do you want to tell us about your uh, fantasy series? It's a Fae series. I'm correct. Yes. Yeah. Um. So, like many fantasy series, I, I've finding out it started out as a tabletop setting um it's uh it's i want to say gunpowder fantasy but it's kind of on the cusp of that so if you read frame of mind which you can get um i think it's still up for free on roll robe if you want to if you want his ebook you can just sign up for my newsletter and you'll get it for free um it's first person it's i describe it as a hard world fantasy so i read this thick collection it's just like all in one book of uh Raymond Chandler's short stories, mm-hmm. all, all of his short stories. I spent like a month or so just reading it all in one go. So I was like, man, I really want to write something like that. So it's like first person, you know, this, he's not a detective. He's a, uh, he's kind of a cop somewhat a fantasy, this city version of a cop. Um, and it also deals with dreams. All my, I think all my works are probably, will probably deal with dreams in some way. Um, he is, he has this, woman this ex-lover that's disappeared and he's looking for her and he is forced to contact this network of telepathic magi these like uh, magic users who connect mentally and form kind of like a fantasy internet i guess you could say and in this setting you have to, if you're a magic user if you have access to uh, that ability you have to register with the state with the empire so these are kind of under the radar underground that type of thing so he has to contact them and it's not a pleasant experience and he has to try and figure out where she went because she had something to do with that um i have basically the outline for the second book and i'm probably i think i have right now i have about six or eight i can't remember I'll have to look at the document i have like the series outline plan for that one so i think once mandala maybe next year or earlier if i get the bounty edited and cleaned up to what to how much to my <laughs> expectation then i'll start working on the second book i love it so mm-hmm. it's like raymond chandler meets carnival row <laughs> yeah kind of. so uh 
I'm curious if we want, I want to kind of go back to some of the first few things you said about lucid dreaming. Um, and I would really like to know, do you utilize lucid dreaming as a uh, tool for your writing? And also uh, you mentioned as you were older, you needed to relearn that. And I think there are probably a handful of listeners that are like, how would I even start with that? So this is a twofold question, but uh, I'm going to throw it at you. I would love to utilize it. If I was better at it and I had more control, <laughs> I probably would. I'm definitely working towards that. Um, a lot of my experiences in lucid dreaming have been also, you know, like my dreams as a, as a kid have definitely affected my writing. But kind of ironically, the one dream that I think most affected my development of Mandala was not a lucid dream. Um, I had a dream where I was me, but an, like an alternate version of me. Um, I was... Like runner, I had a job, different job, but slightly similar, different living in a different apartment. Um, I met my, I saw my wife somewhere and she didn't know me. Like we never got together and it was a very disturbing, unsettling experience, but it also felt extremely real. Like every aspect of that other life was fleshed out. So that definitely affected my decision. That was kind of one of the genesis points for me that, okay, I need to write this thing. As far as lucid dreaming. So there's first things first, write down your dreams. The moment you wake up, try and remember as much of your dreams as you can and write them down in your dream journal. So dream journal is number one. You have to have it. Um, even if it's just a little bit, write down what you can remember. And if you can't remember anything concrete, write down the feelings you remember. Like, oh, I remember I was afraid. Just write that down. That's, that's good. Just baby steps. Um, the second pillar, I guess, of lucid dreaming, I would say is are our reality checks. So if you see Inception, how they have the top and they spin it, and if it doesn't fall over, they know they're dreaming, things like that. Things you do in the real, your waking day to stop and say, ask and ask with intention and like really mean it, am I dreaming right now? So there's the, and in, if the, in the opening of Mandala, Grady, it's implied that Grady has, has dabbled in lucid dreaming. He tries to put his fingers through his palm. And that's a reality check because if you're dreaming, you can put your fingers right through your hand. Um, there's a nose one where you pinch your nose and try and breathe. Um, I'm not very good at reality checks. I'm still trying to find one that works for me. I'm trying one where every time you go through a doorway, you ask yourself if you're dreaming. But the way my house is set up, I kind of go through like two doorways in a row and that's kind of throwing me off. Um, I had a coin that was like a Titanic commemorative coin. Reading text is another one because you can't read text in a dream. So I had like a coin and I would read the back of it and a ring, just anything that's going to get you in the habit of in your waking day, be like, am I dreaming? Because you want to get in that habit. So when you're dreaming, you'll do that automatically. Am I dreaming? And then you'll realize you're dreaming and you'll be lucid. So that, that would be the, the backbone, the thing to start with. Wow. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you do explore more of that. Uh, and you're writing, because I'd love to see more of that. Um, with that in mind, is there anything else you haven't explored in this series or your other series that you're planning to or want to? I would like my first big writing that I wanted to do, my like kind of baby. I would say Mandala is definitely my baby now. But my other little thing that I would definitely want to work on is a space opera. Um, that was the first thing I wrote in high school. And then right after that, I, I have like just notebooks, just solid those mead, however many 180, whatever stacks of notebooks of me writing down 
and I have I wrote down high school in class or in my different jobs, just whenever. So definitely a space opera, um, which will of course also have something to do with dreams, <laughs> but uh, definitely that. Awesome. I love space opera. So I'm all in <laughs> for that. <laughs> so your fantasy series, you also mentioned it was a tabletop fantasy. Yes. Is it correct to say you mean like role-playing? Yeah, it was a, I, I, we, I was dungeon master, game master um for a friends and family tabletop session and this was kind of like the setting it was something i'd already mm-hmm. i'd already worked on so i kind of expanded it for the uh for the game um we started out with pathfinder and then later we moved to like a powered by the apocalypse style thing because mm-hmm. I, I really Excellent. like the the freedom of that um mm-hmm. i want to do like i just said i want to do a space opera so speaking of that i would like to do a uh, a traveler game and a GURPS game. Those are the two I'd like to run or play. Uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a tabletop game. Obviously, DMing is a lot different than writing. You know, it's a lot more. <laughs> mm-hmm. You actually don't want to prepare too much. I learned that the hard way. But uh, yeah, so that was gave me incentive to kind of explore it and see how people interacted it uh, interacted with it and what they responded to and were interested in. Yeah, definitely good uh, storytelling skills come from tabletop <laughs> gaming. <laughs> Very true. So as a final question, what do you like most about writing serial fiction? The room. The I, I've always, everything I've ever written or come up with, even since I was a kid, was always just expansive, very epic, just ongoing, continuing. I think the first thing I wrote, quote unquote, when I was a kid, which I never wrote down a word of it, but I had it in my head, <laughs> was, a, was a fantasy and then I got to like the end of the fantasy, like they beat the main villain, the dark wizard or whatever. I'm like, okay, now what? And then, okay, they go into space next and it's like a sci-fi thing. So that, you know, uh, it was long. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess for, for serial fiction, it's great because I don't have to, I don't have to confine it to, okay, well, I can't talk, I can't go over that part. I have to kind of confine it to these books and uh, I can't really talk, discuss that. I, you know, I have room to spread my wings and take it wherever as long as it's in like an episodic format. So when I first looked into Vela or not Vela, but Royal Road and I was putting them, putting Mandala up in various places, I kept hearing, okay, serial fiction is different than novel writing. I was like, okay, oh crap, I better make sure I do this right then. So I looked up <laughs> serial fiction, you know, how do you do it? What, what's different? And uh, I looked and I was like, all these things are exactly how I want my writing to be, but I have felt restricted from doing them because I'm trying to write novels. So it's kind of a light bulb moment. Just, okay, I can do all that. I can expand it. I could go on for years and years, you know, with this story and hit all the, the points I want to touch. So yeah, I just the room. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. <laughs> thank thank you. you. Thanks for having me on. Our thanks today to Edward Adelon for letting us share their episode. If you liked it, you can read the first three episodes free on Kindle Vela. The link is in the show notes. And, and that's a wrap. I okay, so. Christine's going to judge me. I don't care. Um, So I have like 
80 billion weird dreams, but my like <laughs> most like memorable one that like has still impacted me to this day was I think it was my junior year in college. I went to sleep like around January and I had a dream that lasted for months. And like I went through events and I like I went to birthday parties. I went to people's houses. I like went out <laughs> to like moved back somewhere for the summer, blah, blah, blah. And like it was warm out. And then I woke up and it was January again. And I was just the whole like months. I was like, I don't know where I am. I don't know what happened. This isn't right. Um, so that was like one of the weirdest dreams I've ever had in my life. I definitely feel like I skipped timelines. That that yeah, I really want to have a dream like that. Like I've I've seen people discuss that, and I've never had one. I'm like, man, that must be mm-hmm. amazing. You that had like is, a Monday. I don't remember sitcom. anything from you it. You dreamed a Monday. Oh my sitcom. god. <laughs> uh, I yeah, basically, I I like don't remember anything from it now. But I, like to this day, it still feels like a time where things just felt so wrong. Oh. For the longest <laughs> time. I was like, what is wrong with the world? <laughs> Do you remember your earliest dream? Because I think you dream like lucid as a kid. And then, I don't know, we lose it as adults because I don't know. We're boring yeah, or I whatever. I used to lose it in high school. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I've seen, uh, yeah, I've seen I that remember. a lot because I didn't know that was common. I was like, oh, I just know I'm dreaming. That's weird. And then later when I started reading about it, people were like, yeah, I could lose a dream as a kid and I lost it. I don't know if it's, I think it, maybe as a kid, I wanted, I wanted to be awake more, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, you know childhood was kind of rough but i still wanted to be like awake like when i the moment i was knew i was dreaming i'd be like oh yeah i gotta no i'm i want to wake up and you know be in the waking world where now i'm like just let me sleep. just let me stay dreaming <laughs> we're just now exhausted now yeah. that's what it is and I'm old and tired. <laughs> basically i said like the <laughs> earliest dream i remember that i was i was probably pretty young five six maybe that I was living on the moon with a giant colony of ants. These are the oh things God. I dreamed as a child. <laughs> and now you write sci-fi and horror. No, so. and that's why I write sci-fi. But I don't know if that one was lucid. I think one in the early, like one I remember when I was lucid, I was still probably high school, maybe even beginning of college. Is that I was like in guerrilla warfare somewhere. <laughs> like it was like Rambo time, man. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> I'm like, this is a dream, but I have to go like attack these people now. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I've definitely had some of those. <laughs> I've had some post apocalyptic yeah. dreams. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there we go. This is why I write what I write. Now I'm figuring it out. <laughs> Read by JP. Read by me.